In a deeply divided nation, the United States Supreme Court seems to be sending a message to the American people about how we talk about critical issues. So this week, we will dive in with religion reporter Kelsey Dallas from the Deseret News and review important cases from the Supreme Court, including the Colorado cake maker, President Trump's travel ban. We'll also see what state legislatures are doing as it relates to religious liberty and balancing the rights of religious groups and the LGBT community. All this and more on this week's episode of Therefore What? Therefore, What is a weekly podcast that breaks down the news while breaking down barriers, challenges you and the status quo, explores timely topics and timeless principles, and leaves you confident to face what's next. I'm Boyd Matheson, and this is Therefore What. Welcome, everyone. This is Boyd Matheson. We are very pleased today to be joined by Kelsey Dallas. Kelsey is a religion reporter for the Deseret News, serving in the uh, publication's in-depth team, uh, doing some extraordinary things around faith-based social trends, legal action related to religious freedom, law, and uh, developments at the intersection of faith and politics. Uh, Kelsey, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, Boyd, thanks so much for those kind words. You bet. Uh, it's been a very busy term for the Supreme Court, uh, many of which have been right at the intersection of faith mm-hmm. and religion and politics. Uh, and so give us a, a quick snapshot. What is this uh, session of the Supreme Court really meant for religious liberty? What does it look like in the, the faith space? Well, it's very interesting to think about what types of messages the Supreme Court justices were trying to send all of us Americans out here. And it all started with the Masterpiece Cake Shop ruling. Here, many of us, including myself, thought we were at this decision point where we were going to move forward either saying protections for the LGBT LGBT community sometimes needed to trump those for the religious community, or we were going to say, hey, we need to work out some new and robust exemptions to make sure we protect those who, for religious reasons, do not support same-sex marriage. So, okay, we're thinking this is going to set a new precedent. This is incredible. What an opportunity as a reporter. And it turned into a very different type of an opportunity, and that was to take a step back and say, what are we doing wrong or what should we be doing different when it comes to our approach to these religious freedom clashes and Justice Kennedy in the Masterpiece Majority Opinion is saying um, anti-religion bias which they saw in this original Colorado decision is inappropriate and just in general all of us need to do a better job of being nice and getting along and I know that that's sort of a silly thing to expect from our Supreme Court and, and to sort of then come out into the world and heed their call but I thought it was pretty fun as a reporter to talk about that kind of message instead of a more divisive one that left people feeling upset. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting as the as the uh, case came down as the, as the ruling came down. A lot of people saying well, it was a narrow it was a narrow decision, and everyone saying, "Well, wait, it was seven to two. That's mm-hmm. not narrow. What does narrow mean?" Uh, and the narrow part, uh, as you've described, was really about how we talk about these things. It, it wasn't so much about the whether the cake should be made or who should make mm-hmm. it or how, uh, but it was you can't talk to people that way. Mm-hmm. The narrow was in terms of what exactly the Supreme Court took upon itself to decide. And so it was just this very particular situation where uh, they weren't happy, seven of them weren't happy with the actions of the Colorado Commission. And so they said, this is what we're deciding on, uh, pause on everything else. <laughs> and um, it, it's interesting to note that um, a case that just came out this week, the the Trump versus Hawaii travel ban, uh, many observers thought that there was an opportunity to do 
exactly the same thing in that case and say we aren't happy with how President Donald Trump was speaking about Muslims across um, our country and around the world. And so let's just say, hey, that's inappropriate. You need to rethink your approach to Mm -hmm. immigration policy. And actually, in this case, they did not do that. They said we need to ensure that the executive branch of our government has the ability to do what it thinks is necessary. And maybe we're not really happy with President Trump's approach, but we're not going to um, stay narrow in our ruling. We're going to say this is okay. Let's let's move forward with this travel policy in place. I I did think it was interesting that uh, Justice Kennedy, in uh, his uh, concurrent opinion Mm -hmm. uh, on the travel ban, did sort of say to the president, Mm -hmm. how you talk about this actually does matter. And we do need to expect more why we we can't, as Justice Roberts said, we can't define it to one person. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to protect the office of the presidency uh, in the majority opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Justice Kennedy really kind of gave a very similar message to what came out of the the Colorado Cake Baker uh, case, which was how we talk about these things really does matter. Yes, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on if that really even registers to President Trump, because I spoke to someone this morning who said, you know, of course, many of us reading this opinion take heart in what Kennedy had to say and and maybe find something of ourselves in Justice Sonia Sotomayor's dissent saying Mm -hmm. this is totally inappropriate for the behavior or for the president to behave that way. But I just wonder... um, does, does the executive branch look at Kennedy's thoughts and say, okay, we will do differently next time? I, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to change what happens in the, in the White House or in terms of their strategy. They, they have a certain style and I don't see that really changing. But to me, the, the more important message was to the American mm-hmm. people, uh, that the American people have to recognize whether you're on the far left or the far right or anywhere in between, the, the way we have these conversations really is what has made our democracy work mm-hmm. uh, over time. Time. And, and so while I don't think the uh, the White House will particularly say, uh, hey, we're going to we're going to change our ways mm-hmm. because of that. I, I do think there was a subtle message there uh, that not a lot of people are talking about. Obviously, Justice Kennedy is 81 years of age, has been mm-hmm. talking about retirement for quite some time. And uh, I wonder if it was a a little bit of a subtle message of you have a very slim majority in the House and the Senate. Mm -hmm. uh, And if if you don't uh, start talking in a more presidential manner, I might just hang around so that you don't get to appoint Mm -hmm. my successor. Well, and I I think part of the reason that this particular month of rulings has been fun to cover here at the Deseret News is that I think it's fair to say that we um, appreciate, perhaps it's better just to say your opinion staff appreciates this view (laughs) that says, um, what can we do better as American people? What can Mm. we do to ensure that compromise is still possible? And so it's been fun in the three weeks since the Masterpiece Cake Shop ruling to do two follow-up articles that were just saying, what would this look like? What does it mean to approach legislation from the perspective of, I have my views, he or she has their views, and we need to try to work this out instead of just dominating the other the other party or the other position. And then another one just about tolerance in our everyday life. If you find yourself totally disgusted with someone, how do you sort of step back and say, I need to do better moving forward? That's right. Yeah, no, it, it's so sad that we, we've almost got to this point of uh, what I call intolerant tolerance, mm-hmm. uh, where we're only tolerant of those who agree with us or who are on our side of a particular issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyone else we can just lambast and 
and you know melt down their their Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's part of the challenge in the country today. And I, I do think it's one area that the Supreme Court does worry about mm-hmm. um, that that all of the bombast and and the way we do it. Uh, Arthur Brooks, uh, uh, who's a, a good friend and an amazing thinker at AEI, you know he he says that we we really don't have so much of a political polarization problem. We have a we have a contempt problem <laughs> that that belief in the worthlessness of another human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if I think you're worthless because you disagree with me on an issue, then I can blow up your Facebook page or melt down your Twitter feed and I can still sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we can see even what we saw over this past weekend with Maxine Waters uh, calling out uh, other people to you know, protest members of the administration mm-hmm. because they disagree with them or the, uh, the Red Hen uh, restaurant uh, mm-hmm. kicking out uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, and, and so that becomes an interesting thing. And, and how do you think the court views all of that? They, they try to stay above the political mm-hmm. fray but they're clearly interested in how we have these conversations. Well, in the Masterpiece Cake Shop ruling, um, Kennedy writing that majority opinion is saying, um, of course, we need to respect our LGBT neighbors, um, that they navigate this world, and it can be very dangerous at times, heartbreaking at others, and we don't want to put a policy in place that makes them feel like second-class citizens. But perhaps more importantly, um, although it seems strange to say this in 2018, we've sort of moved into the era of talking about sexual orientation, not so much religious beliefs and protections for those. But really, again and again, he is saying we cannot forget that our laws protect your religious belief. We cannot forget that when we legalized same-sex marriage uh, three years ago today, actually, that um, we said that we need to respect those whose religious teachings say that marriage is properly reserved for a union of one man and one woman. And so it's been really interesting to watch all this unfold as sort of a student of religion and someone who enjoys mm-hmm. learning about it and thinking about it, that we're coming to a point where maybe not enough Americans are in a place to sort of understand deep, deeply held religious mm-hmm. beliefs, um, higher rates of unaffiliation and things like that. And right. it, it just throughout this Supreme Court season, you can either see the rulings as this horrific victory of conservative values or something, or you can see it as a reminder that we set out um, as a country to protect all sorts of beliefs and um, statuses, and those have to balance somehow, not just like, okay, religion isn't as cool anymore, so it loses now. It's out, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, you know, it's been something that, that Utah has done better than most places mm-hmm. uh, across the country uh, in terms of being able to balance things like LGBT rights mm-hmm. with religious liberty rights. Uh, I know you've, you've written a lot on that. You've studied a lot in terms of how the, the Utah Compromise came together. Yeah. Um, give us just a, a quick snapshot of that, and then I want to start looking at other states. Okay. Uh, did a, a brilliant piece really drilling down on what's happening across the country at the state mm-hmm. legislature le- level. Uh, and I want to dive into that. But give us a little Utah tee up and then let's drill down. <laughs> well, I do I do think that Utah deserves its reputation as being a place um, home to many very kind people. I, I think that sounds like a ridiculous <laughs> stereotype, but I just had some friends visiting from out of town and they said every interaction they had was great because people are just interested in hearing about them and what brought them here. And I think that carries over in the approach to politics that there's let's be civil to each other, let's respect each other, and let's sort of operate um, in an old school way almost in the way we do our legislation. And for religious freedom, um, that didn't come without some bumps in the road and and some difficult years, but it really um, took a lot of people saying we need to sit around the same table and have Mm -hmm. some difficult conversations and then move forward together. Um, 
the the interesting note is just that um, Utah is very, very religious overall compared to some other states. And so one might think that that would mean sort of religious rights went out over everybody else. So it's very, mm-hmm. it's very interesting and important to note that there was this balance. But what I, what I wonder about looking at the rest of the country is um, in other states, it just feels almost impossible for that same sort of balance to be struck yeah. because either the more conservative viewpoint just has total dominance, um, not really wanting to play along, or the the more liberal cause is really in charge, and maybe there's just not as many religious people. And so, like I'm mm-hmm. saying, there's not this understanding of these deep concerns that would cause someone to not want to bake a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, in, in so many ways, we, we have to get to the point where we're, we're getting comfortable having those uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. and bringing people to the table, uh, not to have shouting matches and talking points past each other, uh, but to actually engage in some elevated dialogue. So you, you did this brilliant piece on uh, how 139 bills across the country are redefining mm-hmm. religious freedom. Uh, just in our, our, our next few minutes here, give us a couple highlights, and in particular, maybe you could start with some of the adoption yeah. components that are happening across the country. So we set out on this pretty lofty plan of defining out sort of what's happening in state legislatures in 2018. And there were certain issues that had already risen to the level of national coverage. So it was like, okay, we definitely need to look at that. And one of those is adoption, that this was the year that many states um, sort of shifted their attention to uh, what happens to faith-based adoption agencies when they do not feel comfortable serving an LGBT couple. Mm -hmm. Now, um, they might have been willing to send them to a different agency, but there's a lot of frustration about that approach um, in some camps because they might still be receiving government funding and not serving anybody who walks through their doors. So I really wanted to get a picture of how many states had had these conversations about adoption. And it was somewhat small in the scope of these 139 bills, but still very interesting to see how many can pop up in a, in a single legislative session. And then other, other pieces that were um, jumping out is this continued effort to sort of redefine um, what American law should be after same-sex marriage legalization. So um, do we add sexual orientation and gender identity to the list of protected traits? Or do we make a standalone law that says a business owner can turn away an LGBT couple sort of anytime there is this religious clash um, with what they're being asked to do. And and it was very fascinating and lots and lots of action being taken. Um, but it sort of picks up on what we were talking about with Utah that um, most states are not in a Utah compromise type of position. They're in a, um, this is what I want to happen and it's going to happen. Or this is what I want to happen and I'll tell you about it, even if I'll never have the votes to do that. <laughs> and <laughs> it's not really like, let's take a deep breath and, and come together. It's more like I'm planting my flag here and you can stand next to me or not. Or not. Yeah. Then yeah. that's uh, that, that's such a, a big challenge across the country. Uh, just in our in our last minute or two here, uh, Kelsey, give us a, a little look forward. What do you think mm-hmm. is is coming next? And and maybe use your I'd love for you to use your uh, Yale Divinity School lens uh, <laughs> as, as a graduate of the Divinity School. I think that gives you a a really interesting perspective in terms of mm-hmm. what this all means and uh, what what does it look like moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, many of my uh, Yale Divinity School classmates are now um, pastors um, or priests themselves, and uh, many do come from more liberal. 
faith traditions, both mm-hmm. politically and theologically. And so they're they're sort of setting themselves and getting more active um, in opposition to the religious right, in opposition to the people who are helping um, support President Trump and bringing him into office. And I I think it's really valuable to hear their voices out in the public square and say, hey, religion comes in many forms and and comes with many political viewpoints. But at the same time, I I do wonder about this um, setting yourselves up in opposition to someone Mm -hmm. versus setting yourselves up as a sort of peacemaker. And I mean, that's on members of the more conservative faith groups as well, that if we really need and want to heed Justice Kennedy's call in Masterpiece Cake Shop, can't um, religious people make themselves valuable in that process, um, sort of, and be the ones convening the table that we mm-hmm. all meet at. So that's really what I'm watching for in um, the next few months, especially the lead up to the 2018 elections, are people of faith becoming the same the same voices who um, call for uh, protest, or are we the ones calling for a coming together? Mm, fantastic. Kelsey Dallas, religion reporter for the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much. Therefore, what? All right, so where do we go from here? What, what are the lessons learned from the Supreme Court this year, and, and what does it mean for all of us? I mean, that, that is the purpose of this whole podcast, is to get to the therefore what. What does this mean to me? What does this mean to my family, my neighborhood, my community, to this amazing country that we live in? Therefore what? So as I look at the analysis of, of what the Supreme Court did this session, so many of the things, particularly as it related to the balancing of, of faith and religion, uh, belief, and balancing that with the rights of, of LGBT community and a host of others, it, it really comes down to a message that I believe they were sending that, that this is part of who we are as a nation. In other words, we, we can't keep treating each other this way to have these conversations or nothing will ever get settled. Uh, And then all we end up with is a great deal of uncertainty and undue stress in our communities and our families and in in the country. Uh, I think one of the messages that the Supreme Court sent to all of us is that faith is actually a dimension of diversity and should be treated as a dimension of diversity. Uh, we talk about diversity in, in race. We talk about gender. We talk about sexual identity. Faith is also a dimension of diversity. And I think in all of these cases, the Supreme Court was saying, okay, yeah, this is part of our diversity as a nation. It's one of the core pieces of diversity in our nation. But above all, you know, as I look at the Supreme Court and these messages, if you get into the not just the rulings, but some of the concurring opinions, uh, there really were some fascinating messages. And, and I think the bottom line, the, the real therefore what for me from this Supreme Court session is that the Supreme Court was saying how we talk about these things matter and we must do better as a nation. I think they called out the executive branch. I think they called out the legislative branch and every member of Congress. I think they called out every state legislature. I think they called out every political campaign and every outside organization who raises millions of dollars trying to convince us as a country that we're too divided to deal with any issue. They're telling us we're better than that as a country. And I think ultimately what the Supreme Court is telling us as citizens of this country is that we're responsible. We are responsible for truth, and we're responsible for how we talk about truth. Really interesting, recently uh, Oprah Winfrey spoke at a graduation ceremony down at USC, 
And she she shared something really interesting to these graduating journalists. And she she told them something that I think applies to every single one of us as a citizen, as a father or a mother, as a friend or a brother or sister. Uh, It's all of us in all our capacities. She said, so your job now is to take everything you've learned here and use what you learned to challenge the left, to challenge the right and challenge the center. When you see something, you say something. And you say it with the facts and the reporting to back it up. Here's what you have to do. You make the choice every day, every single day to express honestly. Because the truth, and I love this. He says, let me tell you something about truth. Truth exonerates and it convicts. It disinfects and it galvanizes. The truth has always been and will always be our shield against corruption, our shield against greed and despair. The truth really is our saving grace. And not only you here at USC, it's not just you to tell it. It's all of us who need to tell it, to write it, to proclaim it, to speak it, also to be it, to be the truth. And I really think that's the challenge for all of us. That is the therefore what? What are we going to do about it? How are we going to speak not just our truth, but the truth? How are we going to present that on our social media? What is our Twitter feed going to look like? What are we going to post on Instagram and Facebook? How are we going to interact with those we may disagree with? Are we willing to stick to the truth? Or will we allow ourselves to be dumbed down and focus on all of the wedge issues, angry rhetoric that often prevents us from having the real conversation? The therefore what for me this week is we can no longer as a nation allow the strident and extreme voices at both ends of any political issue to prevent us from having the conversation that will actually solve the problem. This is Boyd Matheson. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Therefore What. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow along for future episodes because you don't want to miss Therefore What. Therefore What.